I too have fond memories of that trip. We had a lot of jealous uh, students at the Memphis School of Preaching that time, having six of us or ten of us chosen to go on that trip, but I really felt blessed to be a part of it. And last time I was here, uh, Tony was talking about that situation. My youngest was a lot younger then, and he was listening to all those nice things that Tony was saying, and he said, does he know you? <laughs> and I don't know exactly how he was meaning that, but nevertheless, it's good to be with you tonight, good to have this opportunity, and I appreciate so much the subject matter. Living with confidence, such a needed topic in our world today, even in the church, so many of us have doubts. One of Satan's greatest tools is the tool of doubt. Came across an illustration to lead into this study. Postman was talking with a fellow and he was talking about how confident he was and how at peace he was with his job. God was asking him, you know, why is that? He said, if all I have in my satchel is one postcard, no one dares get in the way of me delivering that postcard. Because if someone were to hinder me from delivering this postcard, the entire weight of the United States government would come crashing down upon that individual. Now that's... That's encouraging, isn't it? The power that he had just to deliver one little postcard, to have such confidence, such peace, knowing that he had the entire weight of the United States government behind him. Mm. But what do we have? We have the soul-saving message of the gospel entrusted to us. Paul would say to the church in Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you have, you, you have been saved, if you keep in memory, if, that's a condition, if you keep in memory that which I delivered unto you. And he delivered what? That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what he delivered. That's what he lived. That's what he wanted them to know. Now, those of us in this audience tonight who are members of the Lord's church, having been obedient initially to the gospel, and I believe obedience to the gospel is a continual obedience. You know, we are, we're to continue to obey the gospel by raised to walk that newness of life. That we have something that the world can't touch. And we can go out with confidence and we can preach that message to a lost and dying world and say, you can have this too. And no one. No one can really get in the way of that. And if they do get in the way of that, even if they take our lives, the entire weight of heaven will be upon them. Is that not emboldening? Is that not confidence building? You know, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says that, we, that he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. And that next verse says that we can boldly come before his throne of grace. We can boldly, with confidence, say something so simple. It's so profound. My Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My Father in heaven. Oh, that's empowering to me. I don't know about you, and I hope by the end of this sermon you find some strength, some comfort to know that you can, too, live confidently in this life. Our text, of course, as has already been read, 1 John five thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That you may know that. That's what we need to know. And if I don't know that, I'm not going to show that. And if I don't show that, why is anyone else going to know that? Does that make sense? I know it's a little convoluted, and that's the way I think sometimes. But it made sense to me. I hope it did to you. You see, when I sanctify the Lord God in my heart, 1 Peter 3.15, when I sanctify the Lord God in my heart, 
I'm ready to give a defense to every man, notice this now, every man that asks me what? Uh, why do you not use instrumental, instruments of music in your worship? No, that's not what he's talking about. Why, why do you take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? No, that's not what he's talking about. They're going to ask you what? The reason of the hope that is in you. The hope that is in you. Brother Elkins, uh, he's been, I'm sure he's been saying this for many years, but it, it was one of those statements that stood out when I was in preaching school. He said, you know, a lot of Christians look like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. Yeah, walking around with a sour disposition. Born in the kickative case in the objective mood. You know those people? We're supposed to be Christians. Children of the Almighty God. On our way to heaven. How can I not be happy about that? Why should I not be happy about that? And when I really get that, why would I not want to share that with others as well? Let them see that. Let them experience that as well. We've been given the opportunity to live in and spread the word of the Almighty God. But how many times do we find ourselves truly living without confidence? I mean, just doubt creeps in. Situations arise in our lives. I'm going to give you two points tonight. That's it, two points. First point I want to consider tonight is who. Who can live with confidence? And then we'll conclude with why. Why do so many fail to live in confidence? And when I say so many, I want you to know I'm talking primarily to the church. To, to we as Christians. Because the world shouldn't be in confidence. The world should have doubt. But we as Christians, we shouldn't. And so many do. Alright, let's, let's talk about this. Who can live with confidence? Another illustration. See, confidence is the very, doubt is the very antithesis of confidence. To have doubt, you can't be confident in doubt. You're not sure. And I use this illustration many times. We drove from Crossville to be here with you tonight. Our vehicle is parked in the parking lot, as many of you have as well. I have full confidence that that van that we drove here in is going to drive me or get me back home to Crossville tonight, right? I have full confidence in that. Now, is it possible that something could break down on that van on the way home? It's very possible. Why? It's a machine, right? But I have full confidence that that van's going to get me home. If there was a shred of doubt, Shred of doubt that something's going to happen, some tragedy is going to happen with that van, with my family in it, but we're going to spend the night here, okay? I'm not going to get in that vehicle. But see, I have confidence, so I'm going to get in that vehicle. I'm going to drive it home. Doubt, though, doubt messes things up. And so by illustration, I came across this. It was said that the king of Italy and the king of Bohemia promised a man by the name of John Huss. They promised this man that he would have safe transport, safe custody back to them, but they broke their word. They broke their word to him. He was martyred. Thomas Wentworth carried the document signed by King Charles I, which read, Upon the word of a king, you shall not suffer in life, honor, or fortune. Shortly after, though, shortly after, however, his death, warrant was signed by the very same monarch. His last words, what do you think his last words were? His last words were this, put not your trust in princes, put not your trust in princes, it is better to trust the Lord. Doubt creeps in most of the time with us in Christians, doubt creeps in because we're listening to the wrong source. 
image gets in the way. I want to portray this image because, you know, you're my peers, you're the people that see me, and you say, this is what you're supposed to look like, this is what you're supposed to talk like, this is what you're supposed to dress like, all of those things, and we want to fit in. We want to fit in. But with whom are we fitting in? You know, the world says, you drink this product and you will be this. But what does God say? What does God say? Don't even look upon wine when it is red. When it, you've read that in Proverbs, right? Don't even look upon it. Avoid that. Listen to the wrong source. You know, this, this is very fashionable. This is very cute. And, and you can be confident when you show yourself in this outfit. But what does the Bible say? What does God say? Something about modesty? You know? Shamefacedness? Projecting an image of godliness? Let them see the inward beauty, not the outward appearance. <laughs> who are we listening to? We'll go back to this context. We're asking the question, who can live with confidence? Go back to our verse again. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, what is this belief? Word studies are important. Words are important. Words have meaning. What do, you, what do you think when you hear the word believe? Is it just some acknowledgement? Well, we know that's not the case because James 2 tells us that the devils believe, right? The devils believe, and they believe so much that they do what? They tremble. They, they shake in the very presence of Almighty God. I asked the Bible class this morning, is it, is it the case sometimes that the devil obeys God better than Christians do? The devil is totally submissive to God. He's going to do whatever God tells him to do, right? Look at Job. Look at the situation with Job. Take his wealth. Don't kill him. Don't touch him. Okay, he took his wealth. Take his health, but don't kill him. He couldn't do any of those things till God let him, right? Totally submissive to him. When Jesus said to Satan, get thee hence, what did he do? He left. He left. When Jesus came upon the man possessed with demons, they said, what have we to do with thee? I know you. Are you come to torment me before the time? He tells them to come out. What do they do? They come out. They come out. They're obedient to him. When Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you know, I'm just not ready. Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What does he do? He makes excuses. And we haven't learned anything from all those many years, have we? But you want to live in confidence? Do what he says. Listen to him. Sometimes we need to do a lot of thinking. Sometimes we need to really think and process what he's telling us to do. You, you can't genuinely repent without some thinking process going on. I, I've got to genuinely consider my sin, and, and I've got to turn from those. I've got to think about these things. But there are times when you just need to do what he says. Just do it, right? Just do it. Living with confidence. Those who believe on the name of the Son of God. So this belief, is, is, is there's more to it than this. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's worthless. It's no good. And so this, this belief is an active faith. It's a, I'm going to do whatever he says. I believe. It's like when dad said, do this or I'm going to spank you. I believed him. Why? Because I had a track record of him keeping his word. Right? I experienced that. Listen to him. It's not going to end well for you, right? God will punish those who will not believe him. Well, you look in the same context of this book, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 12. Or rather, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse 12, rather. Same author. 
John chapter 1, verse 12. Now he's talking about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He's the light, so on and so forth. Verse 14 tells us that word became flesh. So we know he's talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about the Son of God. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many as received him. It, part of this belief process then is a receiving as well, right? And he gives us the power that's opportunity. He gave us the opportunity to be the sons of God. He gave us this opportunity put before us that we can become the sons of God. Notice what he didn't say. He forced us to be the sons of God. That's Calvinism. You have no choice in the matter. You're either the elect or you're the non-elect, and there's nothing you can do to change that. That's not what he said. No, no, those who believe. Notice also what is not said. Not everyone who believes will become the sons of God. But you have the opportunity. You see, the grace of God which brings salvation. Titus 2, the grace of God which brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, right? It's been made available to all men. Are all men saved? Well, of course not. Why? Because you see, that grace which appeared to all men teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. Whatever the present age you're living in, live soberly, righteously, and godly. The grace teaches you that. What if I don't do that? Then all that happened was that grace appeared to you. But you didn't take hold of it. You didn't receive it. He gave us the power to become the sons of God. This belief. Now, think about it. John 8, verse 24. I say unto you, you will die in your sins. That's what Jesus said. You will die in your sins. For if you believe not, now this is the literal, if you believe not that I am. King James says, if you believe not that I am he. But literally says, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. Now what is Jesus asking us to accept? To acknowledge that he is the great I am. I was, am, always will be, right? He who was, is, always will be. Revelation tells us that. The same answer that Moses got from the burning bush. Who will I say sent me? Tell them, I am sent you. The self-existent one. I had a beginning. You had a beginning. We have beginnings. Right? Where's God's beginning? <laughs> he was, is, always will be. That's who I serve. That's in whom I believe. Therefore, why would I not have confidence? And you're talking about an infinite being of that magnitude. And other, there's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved than that name which is given. That name is Christ. And that's Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And so I believe in that name. I believe who he is. Acknowledge who he is. Accept who he is. Practice what he teaches. Then I can have confidence, can I? Can't you? Now we said in the outset... Those who are living and practicing sin, they shouldn't be confident. If you're in this audience tonight and you know that you're practicing sin, you're holding on to some sin that you just can't seem to bring yourself to let go of, you shouldn't be confident. Not as long as you're walking in those sins. You see, all of sin to come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, but here's why you shouldn't be confident. 
Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. <coughs> Excuse me. Death. According to James 2, verse 24, death is a separation of the body and the spirit, right? What kind of death is he talking about in Romans 6.23? Because you know, all of sin, you sinned, I've sinned, I'm still living, soul didn't depart this body, right? So I'm still here. What's well, a separation from God? Romans 8 verse 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? But what if God's not for me? If God's not for me, who can be for me? I love my mom and dad. I have a great mom and dad. I'm thankful for my mom and dad. I'm thankful that they, they gave a, a good foundation for me to grow up in a strong Christian home and all of those things. I really appreciate them. But And I know that mom and dad would stand for me against anybody that they could. But if God's not with me, they can't stand for me, can they? No. What about, what about Satan? Because, you know, if I'm not serving God, I have to be serving Satan, right? Know you not that whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, either sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You're serving one or the other. Satan going to stand for you? <laughs> Why, of course not. Satan can't stand for himself, can he? He's subject to God as well. And really, when you look at it, why does Satan even want me? Why does he want you? One reason. One reason. To hurt God. See, if he pulls you away from God, that hurts God. That's all he's got. You're a tool. You're living in sin right now. You're a tool. You shouldn't be confident in that. But now, the greatest good ever, God. He wants me too. But why? Love. For God so loved, you say the world, right? That's what John three sixteen. God so loved the world. God so loved you. God so loved you. God so loved me. Right? He loves me that much. Mm. Why does that not give us confidence? Who can have confidence? If God so loved the world, and I'm part of the world, you're part of the world, those people in sin living out in the world, they're part of the world. If He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, who can have confidence? Bottom line, everyone can have confidence. Oh, but they don't want it. Now, that's going to be true. That's going to be true. But it's not my job to determine whether or not they want it. It's my job to give them the opportunity to choose it, right? To show it in my life, to preach it to them, to show them the way. Those who follow this course of life, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives a whole litany of sins there, right? Specific sins. Galatians tells us about the, the works of the flesh. He gives a whole list of sins and the works of the flesh. And not only does he list sins, specific sins and the works of the flesh, he says, and such like. Don't, don't even get caught up in the such like. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I really believe that we fail to understand. Oh, we'll say it, but we don't really appreciate it personally. The living in sin is a choice. It's something we choose. 
Now, why do I say we don't accept that? We don't believe that a lot of times. How many times have you talked, parents, how many times have you talked to your children and you're getting on to them because they've done something wrong and they want to come back with it? It's not my fault. Oh, I guess some stranger just walked through the door and did it, right? We've got ghosts. (laughs) It's not my fault. Were you touching it? Yes, but, no, no, no. Did you break it? Yes, but, no, 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 no. Who broke it? Well, I did, but there's... Own it. Own it. Or you'll never fix it. Right? Whose fault is it if I don't go to heaven? Yeah, VBS coming up. Do you ever sing that song? If I don't get to heaven, it'll be nobody's, nobody's, no, 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 nobody's fault but mine. It's choice. I choose. God's not going to force me to serve Him. Satan can't force me to serve Him. I choose. You remember in Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You've got a choice in the matter. You can follow those idol gods like our fathers followed on the other side of the flood, but as for me and my house, We need some fathers like that today, don't we? Don't we need some fathers like that today that preaching and teaching confidence in their family? As for me and my house, I'm taking a, I'm drawing a line in the sand right here. This house is going to do this. Well, dad, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're not going to live here. Because as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. He didn't ask his wife's opinion, did he? He said, we're going to do this. Why? Because he loved God. He loved his wife. He loved his children. That's what it takes, right? That's what it takes to live confidently. Because he had full confidence that if we follow those idol gods like our fathers did, we're going to fail. We're going to fall. Joshua chapter 1. You stay true to the word, you meditate day and night, you'll have good success. If you turn your back on me, you're going to fail. That's what God told him, right? That's what God told him. He didn't want that for his family. He didn't want that for himself. He didn't want that for God's people. Do you want that for this church? Of course not. Just live with confidence. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples? John 6, verse 67. He had multitudes following him, and then they stopped getting the physical food that they had been receiving, and now he's trying to preach to them and teach them what they need, spiritually speaking, and they all leave him. Imagine that. They didn't want to listen to the sermon. They wanted the fellowship meal, right? Cook it and they'll come, right? You stop cooking and they'll leave. He looks at his disciples and you can almost hear the break in his voice as he says, will you two go away? Will you two leave me? Oh, Peter nails it. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He knew where his confidence should be. Peter got it right that time. Other times he wouldn't, but he got it right that time. See, the bottom line is, anyone, anyone can live with confidence. Listen to the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Who here is not heavy laden with sin? 
Who here doesn't need Christ? Who on this planet doesn't need Christ? Come, all. But notice, you have to choose that. He's showing his arms outstretched, saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm ready to, I'm ready to bless you. I'm ready to give you confidence that all your sins are washed away. I'll take that burden upon myself. He took it to a cross. I'll take your burden. I'll give you rest. You keep following me. I'll give you rest to your soul. Eternal rest. Isn't that what our text says? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Take a long look at the cross. Go back and study what Jesus experienced. What he went through. How he suffered. Can anyone look at that and think that he desires any of us to be lost? Any of us? Even if they're a soldier in ISIS? A pedophile? We're talking about some serious things here, aren't we, preacher? Yes. If he tasted death for every man, he tasted death for every man. And he wants them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants them to be saved and repent. We need to be showing them the God of love. We need to be showing them the God of confidence. Who can have this confidence? Anyone. But then number two, why do so many live or fail to live in confidence? A survey was taken many years ago. This is a 96 book, but it said a survey was taken of 521 preachers and, and members of the congregations attending a national council of churches. General Assembly in Miami Beach showed a movement away from the traditional belief as follows. Little more than half believed Jesus to be divine. I've even heard that among our own brethren, that Jesus is a created being. One, only one-fourth thought biblical miracles literally happened. One-third declared the devil definitely does not exist. Now, there's a strong statement. (laughs) Definitely the devil does not exist. They know that. Only 62% looked forward with complete certainty to life after death. Okay, what what has happened? I I believe that... And in growing up, associated with the Lord's church, the majority, uh, really the majority of the preaching I've heard my whole life has been God's people preaching. And I have heard, and I've seen taught from the Scriptures, and I believe with all my heart from the Scriptures that one can fall from grace. Galatians 5.4 is pretty clear about that, right? Galatians 5.4, Paul said to the church in Galatia, You try to be justified by the old law. That's in essence what he's talking about, the law of Moses. You are fallen from grace. Not only can one, you've already done it if that's what you're trying to do. So yes, we can lose our salvation. If we neglect so great salvation, how can we be saved, right? If we sin willfully, Hebrews 10, 26, if we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Now what happens when God takes away the sacrifice of his son's blood for your sin? You're lost. You're lost. I'm lost. We can fall from grace. 
And we have to preach that because there's so many in the religious world today who preach this once saved, always saved garbage. It, it, it's, it's comforting. It's, you're talking about confidence, preacher. That's confidence building, but it's pseudo comfort. It's false. You're believing a lie. But have we done such a good job preaching against this once saved, always saved idea? Have we done such a good job of preaching the possibility of apostasy that none of us have confidence in our salvation? Really, is that where we've gone? Hey, I know we're extremists. People are extremists, and, and we're all people. And you'll go to an extreme to prove me wrong that you're not an extremist. Try it. <laughs> we're extremists. And we swing the pendulum from one side to the other, but God says, hey, the middle's a good place to be. <laughs> be balanced. Be balanced. Yes, you can fall from grace. But according to what we read in our text, you can also know that you have eternal life. Number one reason many Christians fail to live in confidence. We trust ourselves too much. Our confidence and our doubt is focused too much right here. Wouldn't you agree with that? I've got to do this. I didn't do that. I need to do this. I should have done that. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. See, sometimes we see ourselves as Paul in verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 15 says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I, I don't belong here. I, I'm not good enough for this. Is that not kind of how it sounds? I, 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 this, is, I, this is too much for me. I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. Last week, I took my oldest two children to foundations at MSOP. On Friday night at the banquet, we have some of the guys from, we split them up in groups, and the guys all had to get sermons together, and they, four of the guys got up and preached at the banquet. One of the guys that was supposed to speak was in the group that I was helping with, and B.J. Clark, of course, director of the school, also director of foundations, they, they, they had chosen him, told him that they wanted him to be one of the speakers that night, he comes up to me and he says, Barry, he says, I just, I really don't think I deserve this. BJ wants me to speak tonight and I'm really, I'm flattered by that, but he said, I just really don't think I deserve this. These other boys have been doing a great job too this week and you know what I told him? One of the reasons why you're preaching tonight. That attitude, that disposition, that humility. He didn't put his trust in himself. He didn't put his trust in himself. He wasn't trying to flaunt himself in this moment. What a, what a character. Do we see ourselves as Paul in verse 9? I am least of the apostles. I'm not meat. I'm not, I'm not fit. I'm not fit to be a Christian. But we forget there's another verse here. Verse 10. You're still there in the context. Right? Verse 10 says, but, contrast that. One of my elders at Crossville likes to define but. You know how you define but? Disregard everything that was said before that. That's, that's a good way to look at but. Just disregard everything that was said. I mean, think about it. Husband comes in and says, you know, you're the best wife in the world. You, you, you're the best cook in the world. You have, but she just disregarded everything he said before that, right? 
Yeah, that's a good definition of the word. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. It's not in vain. I'm going to use what God has given me to try to bring many more souls to Him. No, He didn't feel worthy. You ready to raise your hand and say, I'm worthy of the blood of Christ? Anybody here? Let me get my hand down. Anybody here? Anybody else want to try that? I'm not going to do it. Are you worthy of the sacrifice of the Son of God? Worthy of death. I earned death. We already talked about that, Romans 6.23. That's what I earned. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I can have this confidence. We see ourselves sometimes as Peter. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they're afraid. They think it's a spirit. They think it's a ghost. Jesus says, be not afraid, it is I. Peter speaks up, Lord, if it's you, bid me come out to you. I mean, who wouldn't want to walk on some water? I mean, that just would be awesome, wouldn't it? Bid me come out to you. He got out of the boat. He said, come. He starts walking on the water. But I'd be just like Peter. I'd start sinking just like he did, right? Because he starts looking around all the ways. He starts doubting. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts saying, yeah, that'd be what I am. I'd be. I'm, I'm, I'm like Peter. I'd mess up, start sinking. But you know, in the context, immediately when Peter began to sink, what happened? Jesus caught him. Jesus caught him and lifted him up. Who's on your side? If God be for us, what? Who can be against us? Does he want us to be lost? Of course not. Maybe we see ourselves as the Roman congregation. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal, a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Maybe that's where we, we put ourselves. I'm going to define what's right and wrong. I tell the church at Crossville and I try to spread this as much as possible. You know what the six most deadly words in the English language are? I don't see anything wrong with. You can finish that however you want. I don't see anything. How many arguments have you gotten into? How many discussions have you gotten into with someone when they start out with that? You try to talk to them about a biblical principle. You try to set forth what God's Word says, some authority in this. And they say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Yeah, you probably don't. They're telling the truth, but have they ever studied to see what's right about it? Maybe they're trying to establish their own righteousness. The very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, you will be like God, knowing right and wrong. What does that mean? You get to determine what's right and what's wrong. That's what God does. He sets the standard. Who says you're a sinner? Who says you're a saint? Only God has that right. I can call myself a sinner all I want. But if God doesn't call me a sinner, what am I? I'm not a sinner. I can call myself sanctified, a saint, a holy, just person. But if I'm not called that by God, guess what I am? I'm a sinner. I'm a 
a sinner. He wrote the law. He created us. When we truly believe, truly believe, that is as God defines belief, we can have confidence. Confidence that eternal life is waiting on us. Go back to 1 John, look at chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 25. 1 John 2, 25 says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. The promise that he, he who cannot lie, promised us. Romans 6, 25 says, or uh, Romans 6, Uh, 23 again says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life through his son, through his name. God's word's best commentary. So do you have eternal life right now? Is that what you're saying, preacher? We have eternal life. Now, if you have eternal life right now, and you just talked about earlier about this once saved, always saved business not being true, how, how do you reconcile the two? How do you reconcile the two? That you have eternal life but you're not once saved, always saved. It's the how we have eternal life. It's kind of like asking the question, was there forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament? Some will say yes, some will say no. Those who say yes, they understand that there were sacrifices that were made and so on and so forth, and, and you got people like uh, Abraham, and you got people like those that are in, in paradise. you got Moses and Elijah. They came from paradise to talk with Jesus, right? Those who say no, they didn't have eternal, they didn't have forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. Say, well, you can't have forgiveness of sins without the, the blood of Christ, and that's true. They're both true. How did they have eternal life? So, how do we have eternal life the same way they had forgiveness of sin? They had forgiveness of sin in promise. You see, there's not a soul that ever has walked this earth that will be saved from their sins without the blood of Christ. But you see, when he hung on that cross, his blood went back and covered from Adam all the way to the cross, and it goes all the way to the end of time as well. It's that scarlet thread, right, that runs through the Bible. The blood of Christ cleansed those under the Old Testament who were faithful to the Old Testament. They were faithful to God. His blood cleansed them. They had forgiveness of sins and promise. When Moses and Elijah met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did they talk about? They talked about his death. Why? They needed it. Just like you need it. Just like I need it. So how do I have eternal life? I have it in promise. Isn't that what he just said? He promised us eternal life. You see, if I have eternal life in my hand right now, the once saved, always saved idea, you know what I don't have? I don't have hope. Because you don't hope for things that you see. You don't hope for things that you have. You hope for something that's in the future. This hope is a promise, though, to us if we're faithful unto him. We have confidence. Not only do we have confidence that we have this eternal life, according to our text, eternal life, we also have confidence. Look at verse 14. This is 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. You can send letters, you can make phone calls, you can call Washington, D.C., you can call your congressman, you can call all these people. And what do you really think the odds are that they're going to listen to you? 
Just really, I mean, just be honest. Do you really believe that they're going to listen to you? They're living in some different world, I think, nowadays. <laughs> but the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all, when I bow my head and I say, my Father, which art in heaven, I have confidence that he hears me. He knows me. We have confidence. Look at verse 19. We have confidence that we can overcome the world. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness, but you don't have to be afraid. John 16, 33. Jesus said, I overcame the world. I overcame the world. Paul would tell the Roman church, we in Christ can be more than conquerors. Literally, literally, super conquerors. More than conquerors in Christ. Why would you choose the world? Why would you want to be lost? Why would you have doubt? Who can live with confidence? That's anyone who's willing to put their trust in God, who's willing to walk in the light, who's willing to follow the word of God. Trust not in thine own understanding. Lean not in thine own ways. All thy ways acknowledge him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in the world. Trust in God. Let him direct your path. His word's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. He wants us to be saved. Don't let the world, don't let Satan sow those seeds of doubt in your life. If you're living in sin, make it right. Don't hesitate. We sang one of the most profound Spiritual hymns, I believe it's been written, but it's one of the most simple. One of the first ones we learn. Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Literally, I am weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you. Do you love him enough right now to lay hold on the confidence of a life that is pardoned, a life that's forgiven? You've heard the word of God. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God and repent of your sins. Confess his name and be baptized for the remission of your sins tonight. Raised to walk that newness of life. If you haven't been walking that newness of life as you know you should, we're going to sing this song of encouragement, this opportunity for you to come back home, lay hold on your confidence, get Satan out of your life. Be a follower of Christ and live with confidence that you have eternal life. Right now as we stand and sing.